Thank you for tuning into the Monocle Dynasty Podcast, where we keep an eye on Dynasty football. Your hosts dive deep on players, rankings, strategies, and much more. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Monocle Dynasty. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to the Monocle, where we keep an eye on Dynasty football. On tonight's episode, I'll be answering some listener questions that you guys were kind enough to send in. Let's dive right in. First up, we have a question from at OmegaKing1414 on Twitter. And he says, do injuries affect your want or willingness to trade in the offseason? So obviously we know that uh, Cam Akers has gotten injured, uh, you know, out with the Achilles tear. And Michael Thomas recently uh, had news come out about his surgery. And now he's going to miss part of the season uh, and maybe not even be fully healthy. And so obviously this is very topical and, and on people's minds. But the question's basically asking, is it worth making trades earlier in the offseason or should you wait until in-season to, to miss stuff like this happening? And so I wanted to look at it and see if there's you know any statistical evidence that shows that we should wait um, and maybe do stuff in-season around that week four time I've talked about before where you should really be making the decision on your team. Is it, is it truly competing? Is it going to compete? Is it, does it need to rebuild? Um, that kind of thing. But looking at the basics, I really think when you're making a trade, you should either be trying to make your team better, whether it's starters, depth, you know, whatever it might be, or just trying to take advantage of a value, uh, either an overvalued player or an undervalued player, uh, regardless of which, whatever it is. Um, and if you're trying to do that, especially in the off season, then obviously it doesn't matter as much about helping your team because you're you're just trying to get that extra first or that additional player or whatever that you might get just because somebody's being overvalued right now. But then looking at last year, which obviously we know was not considered a normal season with COVID and with uh, just, you know no no off season really or a limited off season, um, just a really weird weird year. But we actually saw a 14% increase in injuries in 2020 compared to the average over the last decade. And that's according to the Harvard Sports Analysis Collective. So that injury plague season is still fresh in our minds. And so, you know, now you add in Cam Akers and Michael Thomas and any other players and, and just it, it probably has you a little worried. Especially when you consider that that extra 14% boost in Injuries actually equated to an additional 100 injuries last year over expected, once again, compared to the the average over the last decade. So we see that last year, the injuries spiked. We can't base everything off of one year. If anything, we'll probably have a little bit of regression, hopefully, uh, and and it'll regress back to the average um, unless something's in the water now or or (laughs) any other reason. But one thing that this report from the HSAC did prove was that it wasn't really because of the uh, the, the lack of an offseason. Um, we would have seen a huge spike in early on injuries, you know, early in the season, but it was actually pretty level throughout 2020. So it wasn't that they had to get acclimated and then people were getting hurt because they weren't in shape or anything like that. It was really throughout the 2020 season, just more injuries occurred. Um, it could be because of more offensive plays. We know the offenses w- went wild in 2020. Um, I'm not, I don't know the answer of why it was so much more. Once again, I'm just kind of hoping it's going to regress back to the mean there. But 
what we do see through that same decade of injuries is week to week, you get little boosts and, and uh, you know peaks and valleys of uh, when the injuries happen. So let's look at that and see if maybe it's it's you know happening earlier on in the season, and maybe you should make your decisions a little later on, or if it's just throughout. So based on that study from 2010 to 2019, the injury rate spikes around week four, then to the highest rate it spikes to at week seven. And then again, the same exact highest rate at week 15, which is obviously during our fantasy playoffs. So really, yeah, you do get a little spike at week four. And week one is actually the lowest, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. But I guess it's not that crazy because it's I mean, it's statistically proven. <laughs> but honestly, you have a just as good of a chance of a player getting injured and being out in week 15 as you do in week seven, week four, whatever. I'm not going to base, you know, what my team needs are and and when I should make a trade uh, on anything to do with in season, trying to miss an injury. I think, you know, unfortunately injuries just happen. There's really no good time to trade for a player except for when they're valuable to you. You know, once again, are they undervalued? Uh, Do you have a player that's overvalued? You know, does it does it just work? Because sometimes you don't want to wait. I always preach to be patient, but sometimes if you're too patient, then now that person makes it, you know, that other dynasty player makes a trade with someone else, and now you have to go to a third party to try and get that same player. And not that it's impossible or anything, but they just acquired that player, so they probably like him a lot just like you. Wait for the right time, you know, when the value makes sense and make trades then and not worry about when injuries are going to happen or anything else because it, it that part is just luck you know there's unless you're talking about an injury plagued or an injury prone player which we've proven not me but uh, other people have proven aren't probably as prevalent as uh, we would like to think then I'm not overly concerned about it our next question comes in from at Rom Clem on Twitter and his question is, did your opinion change after digging deeper into the 2022 class in that C2C draft? Uh, so uh, FF underscore Spaceman and I have been doing these charity pods. And uh, one of them that we did was a, a C2C draft, a campus to Canton league. And so we covered the NFL side, but I also kind of dove into the Debbie side or the, the campus side just to give them a little bit of uh, insight into you know how I felt about their teams and their upcoming freshmen and or upcoming rookies and, and things like that. And so obviously I've been working on my Debbie rankings. Uh, all of that's available on the Patreon. But I do think that the hatred towards the 22 class is, is being overblown. You know, I get that it may, might not be as exciting as the 2023 class. But... I'm not willing to lose a year's value just to trade my 22 picks for a you know possible better player in 2023. Like I don't want to lose a year's worth of value because it's not like the 2022 class has no one available, like no one that's going to be good. At QB we have options like Sam Howell, Spencer Rattler, but I also, uh, you know, they're considered the top tier, the, the best ones. But I also like Jaden Daniels, Grayson McCall, Malik Willis, and even uh, Keaton Slovis to, to a Keaton, Keaton, I don't know how to pronounce it, Slovis to an extent. 
At running back, we have Kevin Harris, who I think is being slept on, Brees Hall, Isaiah Spiller, Jerry and Ely, Eric Gray, and Max Borgi that Beth is pretty high on. And honestly, others show up decently as well. At wide receiver, we have David Bell, Traylon Burks, Garrett Wilson, Zay Flowers, Justin Ross, Chris Olave, George Pickens, Jahan Dotson, and more grading out well. And obviously, I know that we can't bank on all of those players, A, staying healthy, B, getting drafted, even entering the draft. Like Things change, but we also usually see a couple players in their junior year when they're eligible stand out. You know, Players that we're, we're not even looking at yet are looking for yet. So there's players that could make that leap this year and then they'll jump in as well. Uh, and hopefully that would take care of any that fall out. But my whole point is, I think it shows that we have some decent options here. And, uh, you know, some of those players, especially those running backs and wide receivers, I'm actually pretty excited about. But I think, you know, the, the whole point is like, I'm not punning 2022 picks just because people are talking about it being a down year. You know, once it might not be the best year, but I think there's still players that can help your team this year, this upcoming year, instead of waiting two. And, you know, what are we doing if we're not trying to rebuild as quickly as possible, contend as quickly as possible, then we're just donating money. And you know, I'm not about that life. The next question comes in from at jandrew286. And he says, what are you doing with Acres in Dynasty Leagues? What is the value you're looking to get in return? Once again, Acres is obviously a hot topic this this week, and I've really struggled with what to do with them. Uh, when he first was injured, I said, you know, I'm, I'm holding, I'm I'm not selling unless I'm getting a stud player. And then I really started thinking about the Achilles tear, and and obviously just what other people were saying about his perceived value. And I mean, it just completely went away. And so because of that, and because everyone has different values and everything, we've seen a huge wide range of trades happen with acres going for just about no value uh and and quite a few of them the best i've seen personally and i even went through dlf uh dlf's trade finder and they only had a few since the injury actually happened uh, maybe that'll update soon but the best one i've seen personally in any of my leagues was a 23 first and michael carter for cam acres and if you're in full rebuild, yeah, I can definitely see making that move. You're getting at least you're getting a 23 first out of it, uh, and you're also getting Michael Carter, who could be something. Uh, even though I'm not like overly excited about him, at least you're getting a player for now that that has the potential to to gain value, and then also a first to kind of make up the rest of the value there. But if you're contending, you know, is that really going to help you contend? Probably not, but I'd probably still be willing to do it just because, like I said, you're getting the value. You're taking away the risk of of Akers trying to come back, being who he was, or anything like that. But honestly, if, if I'm not getting something close to that, similar to that, I'm probably just holding. Um, I've heard of Akers going in, in trades for like Trey Sermon straight up. And honestly, I've seen this movie before where everyone just assumes that a player is going to be a stud because of the offense he's in and, you know, the coach that he has. But, you know, looking strictly at Trey Sermon, at the player, he's not overly exciting. I'm not saying he doesn't have upside. I'm not saying he can't be a thing. But I think you almost have just as much risk hoping that he's going to be a thing as just holding acres and, and hoping that he'll come back and, and be something. And what if Sermon's just in a three-way timeshare and, you know, we don't we don't ever see him truly emerge you know, nothing in his 
profile states that he's just going to be this workhorse stud that you never have to worry about taking out of your lineup or anything like that. I get it if you're, you know, if you're just really trying to get out and you're just assuming, oh, he had an Achilles tear and so Acres is never going to be a thing. I get it, but I honestly I think I would just be holding at that point. Acres is extremely young. He's, you know, probably one of the youngest that we have like data on or will have data on returning from an Achilles tear. He has decent draft capital invested in him in a second round pick. And honestly, just the ad- advancements in medicine every year and surgeries really give me a lot of hope. Uh, I was I was watching the Olympics yesterday, and there was a gymnast who had a, uh, an Achilles tear in April, or he had surgery in April, and he's competing in the Olympics right now. Now, apparently it was against the doctor's orders or the doctor's uh, recommendations, but the truth is I was watching him, and he was doing just about everything that he could or should be doing with this Achilles tear surgery that he had in uh, in April. And I mean, obviously it's not necessarily cutting and juking and things like that like a running back would be doing, but he had power. And that's what people talk about is the lack of explosion uh, from these players. But he had a lot of power. I mean, he has, he's doing flips and, and uh, twists and all that kind of stuff. And, and he was doing it well. Um, he was noticeably in pain, but once again, that's that's going against the doctor's orders. I, I don't think that uh, Cam, or hopefully Cam Akers won't be doing that. He'll have plenty of time to to heal and and he'll be back. But being 22 years old, I'm just not overly concerned, or you know, I'm not going to assume that he can't possibly come back from it. I think a lot of the players that we've seen have been older, but we've seen some. We've seen some older players in different positions, wide receiver, uh, tight end, come back and still be you know, viable fantasy options. So I'm not going to give up that a running back can do it as well. In case that wasn't very clear, I'm holding unless I'm getting something that I actually think is helping my team this year. Uh, or, you know, once again, uh, at least some some kind of first round pick somewhere so that I can take advantage of that. Maybe I take that Michael Carter trade take the 23 first and now I try to upgrade and get somebody that's a little closer to acres value and uh, you know they can actually help me this year but that's what I'm looking to do I'm not selling I'm not I'd rather hold and just hope than uh, sell short and you know just completely lose all value next I had another question from the patreon and I was going to answer this one on Patreon, but I went ahead and decided just to do it here because I felt like it was a pretty, like, probably a pretty, like, common question that people have. And and maybe it was something that we should go over uh, more often. And it was, how much does 40 time matter for running backs? Honestly, the, it, this started because of a conversation about Javante Williams. And if he can be a stud running back, even though he has a slower 40 time. All right, so first things first. Looking at raw 40 time is definitely not the right place to start. In my running back model, I use WAS, which is weight adjusted speed score, because a 5'6", 160 pound running back running a 4'3", shouldn't be weighed the same as a 6'1", 230 pound running back running the same speed or the same 40 time. So I think it's important to look at the context of the situation and not just the raw numbers. And then, you know, we can glean more information that way. So with Javante Williams, he has a WAS of 97.21, which is definitely lower than the other top running backs in the class. Like uh, Travis Etienne has a 109.65. Uh, 
And then Najee didn't actually run, but he has a projected like 115 plus for a weight adjusted speed score. But it's still higher than Trey Sermon, who I was talking about before, and his college teammate in Michael Carter. So I'm not overly concerned about the speed. And obviously the model isn't either because that's all built into the model. Um, if Javante was that slow, you know he wouldn't he wouldn't show up as the third ranked running back in this class. But honestly, that's just a comparison versus this class, which really wasn't considered great. So like, let's look at how he stacks up against other players in the NFL. So going back, I I looked at the last five years at like top twelve running backs to see. You know, if they were all fast, if they all had ran four three forties and and things like that, and you know, one of the players that really stood out was Alvin Kamara. In fact, he might be the best example of why we don't worry too much about forty time. He's consistently been a top twelve running back over the past five years, and he ran a four five six forty, and his weight adjusted speed score is a ninety nine, which is slightly better than Javante's. Another major example over the last five years is Aaron Jones, who ran the exact same 40 time, a 4.56, and has a weight-adjusted speed score of 96.2, so a little bit lower than Javante even. And obviously we know how well Aaron Jones has done over the past few years especially. So now you're probably asking, well, you know, 40 time doesn't matter, then what does matter? And one thing we do see with both players is a high burst score. Uh, which is something that my research has shown to be more important than 40 time and weight adjusted speed score and is is weighed somewhat heavily in my model. And Kamara, we see Kamara has a 132.7 burst score while Aaron Jones has a 127.3. Going back to Javante, he has a 122.7 burst score, which is still in the 71st percentile and is actually slightly better than his current teammate in Melvin Gordon. And honestly, Melvin Gordon's probably a little slower than his combine time of a four-five-two. At this point in his career, with the injuries he's had, his you know, his age and everything, so honestly, they might be about the same speed. So if you're worried about Javante being too slow or, or anything like that, I mean, I, I really feel like it's going to come down to talent with the two of them. It's not going to be about speed. And obviously, we saw the investment that, that the Broncos made, so I really wouldn't worry too much about Javante there. As far as 40 times, my recommendation would be not to worry too much about it, at least with the running backs, unless it gets into the extremes like a 4.8 or something like that 40 time, then yeah, you know, then start worrying about it. But I'm not worried about a 4.58, 4.61, uh, obviously depending on, there's different sites that use different ways, and uh, but he's right around the same as as those other guys. I mean... I highly doubt that Javante will ever be a Saquon Barkley or Derrick Henry level running back. But honestly, that doesn't mean that he can't be a running back two for your team and maybe even a high end one. And, you know, possibly even have some running back one years if everything hits right. Hopefully that answers your question. And, you know, obviously if it doesn't, I can always lean in more on the Patreon side. But I figured that would be a good one to talk about here. And then my last question comes in from at NathanGN on Twitter. And uh, apparently he has some trades going on because he has some questions. Uh, Fields or Lance, Saquon or Cook, CD or F1, Pitts or Waller, and also why is Beth so flipping cute? (laughs) So obviously, if you don't know, Beth is my uh, model. It's the nickname that FF underscore Spaceman gave it. And Nathan's a big fan of Beth and uh, the numbers that it spits out. And, and obviously, 
the players in the rankings that it spits out. So appreciate that, Nathan. Uh, love your support. But to get into the questions about the players, uh, I don't think between Fields and Lance, I don't think there's any kind of question whatsoever. It's 100% Fields. You have just about no risk, in my opinion, of him completely busting. I mean, obviously with any player, there's always a chance. But just from what I've seen and obviously even what uh, Beth is, is showing us, he's a very safe player with a lot of upside. And with Lance, it's the complete opposite. He has a tremendous amount of upside, but he is not safe at all. I mean, the, this, the only part you could really say is that he got very good draft capital. And so he's going to be given a lot of opportunities. But I feel like you have very similar upsides in Lance and Fields. And yet one of them feels a lot safer to me than the other. Uh, so, I mean, especially if it's straight up. Yeah, absolutely Fields. I know there's probably leagues where you can probably get a little added on to Fields uh, for a Lance. And so obviously I'd be doing that as well. Now the next one, Saquon or Cook, that gets a little more difficult. And honestly, there's there's not that much I can show with the numbers to differentiate. Uh, they're both stud running backs. They both have uh, injury concerns, and they're both probably going to be you know featured in their offenses. Obviously, I think Saquon's a more talented running back than Cook, but Cook's shown that he can that he's handled a workload the past couple of years. He always has a couple injuries here and there that take him out of a game or two, but. Uh, you know, I feel like the shoulder concern that I was worried about last year isn't as much of a concern this year. Now, of course, now that I say that, he'll have a shoulder injury. But I, you know, last year I was pretty concerned about it, and you know, he basically made it through the season unscathed for the most part, although he did miss a game or two. But that was because of a groin strain; it had nothing to do with his shoulder. With Saquon, you have a lot of questions about what's going to happen in this offense. Is Daniel Jones going to be? throwing as much to Saquon, utilizing the running back, or you know, are they going to try and push the ball down the field? Uh, a lot of people have touched on the fact that Daniel Jones has a pretty decent uh, accuracy when it comes to deep targets. And so is that what they're going to focus on, trying to get Kenny G, Darius Slayton, Evan Ingram, whoever, uh, these, these deeper targets and trying to take advantage that way? So I feel like that offense is going to be pretty bad. <laughs> uh, hopefully better than last year because last year was just a dumpster fire. For dynasty purposes, I'd definitely lean Saquon. Uh, Cook's a couple years older and definitely has more of a an injury history. And there's probably more up in the air with the Vikings offense and, and who will be the quarterback in a couple years and things like that than with the Giants. I expect them to replace Daniel Jones next year. Uh, and anything should be an upgrade to Daniel Jones. And at that point, that would probably be an upgrade to Saquon, assuming he's there. If he's not still there, if they, if they cut him, if they trade him, whatever it may be, then I would once again I would assume he's going to a better situation. So I'd lean Saquon there. The next question is pretty easy to me, and it's C.D. Lamb or Terry McLaurin F1, and it's C.D. Lamb. Uh, the dude is going to be a stud uh, in the NFL for your fantasy teams. I think it's overhyped this you know this year how amazing he's going to be but being that he's in such a high powered offense I don't know how much it'll like how much of a difference it'll be between him and Terry McLaurin for this year I still think Amari Cooper is going to be the wide receiver one in that on that team but that doesn't mean with that CD won't be very valuable and then on the other side with McLaurin 
you have one of the best defenses in the league, so how much are they actually going to have to throw? And then you pair that with Antonio Gibson going into his second year. They might want to try and you know force-feed him the ball, maybe even get him some more passes. They brought in De'Ami Brown. They brought in Curtis Samuel. There's more target competition than he's used to having. And while I love McLaurin and I think he's very valuable, I don't think he has the ceiling that C.D. Lamb has. And then, like I said, I think they'll actually end up pretty similarly as far as the finish goes this year. So hopefully that answered all your questions. I appreciate you guys sending those in and enjoy diving into them. I updated my Dynasty and Debbie rankings this week, so make sure you check them out over at my Patreon. And remember that any money brought in from the Patreon this month, in the month of July, will be donated to charity. As always, thank you for listening. I'll be back next week with another pod, but for now, I'm cashing out. Mm -hmm.